You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier, too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. The truth is that we are in a climate emergency. We have less than 10 years to make substantial changes to our society and way of life and our economy. I want to stress from the outset that this pandemic is far from over. Those who have never fought for the colours they fly should be careful about criticising those who have. You're listening to Bloomberg Westminster, your daily guide to British politics. I'm Ewan Potts. And good afternoon, I'm Caroline Hepke. Well, Boris Johnson struggling to contain the fallout from his defence of Owen Paterson. The Prime Minister refused to apologise for his decision last week to tear up parliamentary rules on standards rather than accept the suspension of a former minister. Owen Paterson was found guilty of paid advocacy by a parliamentary committee. Labour leader Keir Starmer openly accused Johnson's government of being corrupt. And it has also opened the door to accusations against other Conservatives. So the Daily Mail reports that the former Attorney General Geoffrey Cox, a sitting MP, has a second job advising the government of the British Virgin Islands. And it is from there, the lovely sunny warm island, where he voted by proxy in Parliament. Well, the Liberal Democrats uh, in the shape of Wendy Chamberlain led the debate in Parliament yesterday, which the Prime Minister did not attend uh, urgent business to uh, uh, visit a hospital in Northumberland. Well, let's chew over this and uh, the week's political issues with Vera Hobhouse. She's Liberal Democrats MP for Bath. Uh, Vera, thanks uh, so much um, for joining us today. Your, your colleagues at the government had uh, attempted to rig the system to cover their own backs. Um, so, so what now? What what sanction for Patterson? And should there be uh, a full uh, Met investigation? Well, uh, first of all, we have asked for an investigation. The government uh, keeps refusing now um, to have any more um, to say about Owen Patterson because they say that he has resigned and therefore the matter is closed. Well, for us, it isn't closed because, of course, the whole problem is the standards of MPs and how we can improve standards and the oversight of it. So, um, you know, we need to continue to discuss this and see the government to be on our side. I think whenever these scandals happen, it's not just uh, the government or particular MPs who are being tainted, but we are all tainted by the same brush. It's been a, 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 a real problem for all of Parliament. And now we have to and get back and the trust of the people who elect us um, and we need to actually improve and tighten up our standards and that is the okay. least we can do. So look, Labour suggestions are that there should be no directorships, no paid consultation gigs for sitting MPs. Um, how would you limit lobbying? So um, obviously we have to look at the issue quite carefully. Some jobs are perfectly legitimate um, and 
possibly even useful to have MPs who have got direct experience of the outside world, so we don't want to shut ourselves in our uh, Westminster bubble. But we have to look very carefully look at jobs that um, might lead into a direct um, conflict of interest. Do you have any sympathy with Tory MPs uh, who were whipped in this vote? I mean, the party system we have in this country means that MPs are told they must vote for certain things. Lib Dems were in government a few years ago. They were whipped to voting, voting to cut benefits, increase tuition fees. Uh, do, do you have any sympathy with them? In, in this particular in, instance, um, because it's business of the House, um, it would, should have been a free vote. Um, so... Uh, MPs can vote according to their conscience. Why they didn't do that, why um, they were whipped, all of these are questions that you have to put to the Conservative government. Okay, there's an Open Democracy report and investigation that was featured in the newspapers around cash for honours allegations also against Conservatives. So the issue around lobbying has sort of opened up a bit of a can of worms. Should there be an investigation into that also in your view? Well, I think the more open we can be about all of these issues, the better. So um, investigations to see what is directly um, a conflict of interest, um, to see um, where um, MPs are doing what Jeffrey Cox did and actually not do his MPs job, um, but be absent, basically, and take his voters for granted. All of these things will come out also um, about party financing. I mean, that's um, another incredibly shocking reality of British politics, that you can... Uh, you know, give a lot of money to the Tory party. Apparently 1.3 million have been given um, by the fossil fuel industry to the Tory party. That, of course, is given for a reason. Um, it influences politics. It should stop. There are uh, about uh, 800 members of the House of Lords. It's one of the biggest legislative chambers in the world for our not very large country. Uh, all the parties um, have used appointments to put uh, put their friends in, in the House of Lords. Do you think there needs to be a, a review of how it works? Clearly, the, the Lib Dems are not in favour of the system at all, but do you think the, 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 the system of putting Lords in place needs to be reviewed? Well, I mean, we have been campaigning for so many years for a directly elected second chamber, and I believe that would solve a lot of problems. Uh, it is, of course, um, the fact that they're not directly accountable to voters uh, that makes the whole issue of the House of Lords um, such a difficult one to crack. OK, so that's on the Lords. Look, the, the lobbying issue, the latest Ipsos Mori poll, puts Labour on 36%, the Tories on 35 i.e. that the old kind of catch-all phrase, sleaze, still cuts through to the public and to voters. But on the flip side of that, it means that you, the Liberal Democrats and also Labour, have to be seen to hold the government to account on this issue that voters really care about. Are you doing enough of a job holding the government's feet to the fire if you feel this strongly about the issue? Well, I hope um, my party will and, and the party leadership will. I am uh, not uh, the leader of the Liberal Democrats, mm. um, but yes, I am absolutely hoping that our um, discussions that we have um, as Liberal Democrats um, will come to the point where we absolutely do this, where we um, want a squeaky clean politics. Um, these things come round every so often. I remember the expenses scandal when I was not a member of parliament. It was absolutely shocking. Uh, and, uh, you know, it was changed um, and for, for the better and so that we gain trust with the public, but I think trust um, is, is pretty thin anyway. Um, and so we need to work extra hard to get that trust back uh, and be seen um, 
in, indeed cross-party, actually. Now, I said that yesterday. We need a commitment from every single MP in Parliament that we want to clean up politics and will not allow sleeves. And, you know, the Conservative MPs have to sign up to that too because if they don't, then nothing will happen. Um, uh, do, you, do you have any sympathy with, with the Conservatives? I mean, it seems that there is some movement in the polls uh, uh, against them. Do you think that, that, that Boris Johnson is starting to lose his, his Teflon coating? It seems up to now that, that nothing really sticks when it comes to the Prime Minister. Well, indeed. Um, and I think uh, what was said yesterday um, during this, the, the, the debate we had on standards is we our democracy functions on a rules-based order. If we um, as MPs or the, indeed from the top, the, the prime minister uh, tries to or tries to not abide by the rules, what image is he giving about politics to the public um, that we don't have to abide by rules? And it was at so many occasions, be that um, starting with his advisor, Dominic Cummings um, about um, lockdown rules, uh, uh, be, be that um, trying to prorogue Parliament when that was against the rules, um, be that now that the, the government is actually trying to break international rules um, uh, when it comes to the Brexit deal. If we have politics where the politicians don't abide by the rule, our whole system is broken. So we need to be the ones to actually show to the public that we abide by the rules and the rules-based order is something mm. that we absolutely stand by. But the government says that this was a mistake. They made a U-turn. They changed their minds. And actually, the system has been shown to work when it comes to Owen Patterson. He was sanctioned. The government have reversed their decision. This is sort of no harm, no foul, is, is I suspect what any Conservative MP might say. Well, that's how they tried to get out of jail. But actually, they tried to rig the system. And they were only not being able to, able to do so because the opposition parties were boycotting any um, parallel committee that the government was trying to set up. Uh, the government was called out. And it was called out um, by an outraged public. And, you know, good for the public um, to, call, uh, to call out the politicians. But it doesn't do any good for the relationship between politics um, and, and the wider public. What's your assessment of what's been achieved at uh, the COP talks uh, so far? Are we on target to meet our 2050 net zero pledge? Oh, I'm very worried we don't. Um, even um, with, the, with the extra um, pledges that were committed, um, if you add it all up, um, we, had, we are heading for a 1.9 uh, uh, degree increase in temperatures, which is too much. Um, but, I mean, we're only talking about the pledges. The reality always looks as if um, pledges are being made and then and the action on the ground looks a lot weaker. Um, so currently, on, on what is what action is being taken between now and, let's say, 2030, uh, we, are, we are heading for temperature rises well over two degrees. So uh, much too little is being done. Uh, what has been pointed out today as well is the one big thing that was important for the poorer countries, i.e. financial support um, uh, from the richer countries to the poorer countries, is being delayed till 2023. Um, all of these things point to that COB um, is not the success that I, wish, I wished it to be. OK, so that on COP26. You mentioned Northern Ireland, so I'd like to go back to that. What do you think the chances are of the UK triggering Article 16, i.e. suspending parts of the Northern Ireland Protocol? John Major has called that idea stupid and absurd. Do you think that it's going to happen, though? Well, I'm not in the government. Um, it, it is up to them uh, to, 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 to really make good on, on these threads. I, I believe it would be hugely damaging. The reputation um, that the UK has um, um, in, in, in Europe is, is being in tatters and indeed it sort of, um, sort of um, goes wider than just Europe. Um, 
the UK is is becoming not just a laughing stock, but an unreliable partner. Um, and that, too, will mean that, you know, it cannot be good for this country and the future of this country if increasingly the UK is being isolated. So um, I think the UK government would be very, very stupid to go this far. Um, and I hope it won't. But I'm not the decision maker in this case. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor Q&B. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. Well, let's take a look at some of the other stories uh, making uh, news in the world of politics today. Matthew Taylor, chief executive of the NHS Confederation, says he wants all NHS workers to be double jabbed. There are reports that ministers have decided to make vaccinations mandatory for frontline NHS staff in England, though the Department of Health has not yet confirmed that. Meanwhile, Secretary of State for Northern Ireland, Brandon Lewis, has tested positive for coronavirus. He said in the tweet uh, he is experiencing mild symptoms. Meanwhile, ministers have awarded a £210 million grant to the engine maker Rolls-Royce to help develop mini nuclear reactors. There will also be at least £250 million of private sector funding. It's thought that the reactors will be in use by the early 2030s. The small modular reactors are designed to be cheaper and quicker to build than the big conventional nuclear power plants and obviously to try to address the energy transition. Well, the government has stepped up pressure on property developers and manufacturers of building materials to help fix the UK's cladding crisis. Thousands of apartment owners are stuck with huge bills to repair potentially dangerous properties. The question of who pays to fix the problem, potentially costing tens of billions of pounds, is an increasingly thorny issue for Boris Johnson's government. Well, now, let's focus on COVID and the vaccine programme. Much of continental Europe is battling another wave of coronavirus with soaring rates of infection in many countries. Denmark, which actually has one of Europe's highest vaccination rates, is to reintroduce some restrictions asking people to present so-called corona passes to attend restaurants, nightclubs, other public events. Also, President Emmanuel Macron will make a public address, speaking on the TV this evening, very soon about the health situation in France. France and Romania and Bulgaria, which have low vaccination rates, have seen hospitals struggle to deal with the influx of patients. Yeah, well, here in the UK, after a mid-October spike, numbers have been falling with just over 32,300 positive tests yesterday. That's uh, down somewhat on where we were uh, about a month ago. Well, let's uh, chew this all over with uh, Mark Jitt, Senior Lecturer in Vaccine Epidemiology at the London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine. Mark, thanks for joining us again on the uh, on the programme. Um, just bring us up to date with the broad uh, picture of uh, infections in, in the UK. Well, it's as you said, the numbers have been falling and have been doing so fairly consistently for about two weeks now. I mean, in, in the past, um, since uh, around um, late July, numbers have been sort of going up and down, but more or less staying around the 30,000 to 60,000 level. So it's, it's, I mean, there's a danger of over-interpreting sort of like when things go up or when things go down for a while. But so far, the downward trend has been fairly consistent for a while. So this could mm. be the sort of beginning of a longer-term um, decline. 
And this is exactly really what the government were pointing to, hoping would happen. What does it mean then in terms of fatalities in the UK? Well, in the end, cases lead to deaths with a lag. Mm. So deaths are still going up because cases were going up about a month ago, but eventually they should be coming down. The other thing is that the um, deaths we're seeing are a lot lower than um, the number of deaths we saw last winter when we had um, this, um, about the same number of cases as we've got now. And the reason is that most of the population is, has been vaccinated. The vaccination is doing a good job at preventing um, the um, most severe disease which might lead to death. When you look at the people in, in hospital, how many of them, roughly, what sort of proportion of them are not vaccinated? Um, I don't have the exact figures to hand, but there there are a um, good um, there there are definitely a larger proportion who are not vaccinated than there are unvaccinated people in the overall population. So. Um, However, because most of the country has been vaccinated now, there are some people in hospital who have been vaccinated, who have been, um, well, um, even vaccinated with two doses. And and, and that is just saying that the vaccines are not perfect. So it's important not just to make sure that everyone gets vaccinated, but also um, to to, to, to keep the case numbers down so that the people Mm. who's um, have been vaccinated are protected both through vaccination and through um, low transmission. Is there an element, do you think, in the UK, um, even here, of vaccine fatigue? There are reports that people are less keen to come forwards this time for what is now a third round. Yeah, I can understand. I mean, this it's, we've, we've just had two doses and now we're being asked to come for a third. I think we've got to realize that, um, you know, having those two doses doesn't mean this, I mean, COVID is over and we'll never see it again. We are in a great position compared to a year ago. We've got the vaccines. We might have um, better drugs for um, to pre- pre- prevent death from COVID coming up. But uh, actually, we, we, we still need to be vigilant. And I, I don't know, it might be that COVID vaccination might even become an annual thing where we have to you know, continuously um, keep our immunity up, um, react to new new, new strains of uh, new variants of COVID. So we don't know, but I think that might be the price we have to pay to be able to go back to n- normal lives and not have the experience we had in 2020. Mm, so perhaps an, an, annual, an annual vaccine. Still plenty of people over 50 uh, yet to get their booster jabs. Do we need to move on to the under 50s at, at some point later this year? Or I guess it would be next year, wouldn't it? At some point next year. And, and if so, when, when are we talking about? It's difficult to know exactly. I mean, part of the reason for the boosters is that we think the um, protection from the primary series, the first two doses, might um, wane. But it's difficult to work out exactly um, how fast it wanes. Then the waning against mild infection might be faster than against severe infection. I mean, we've also got to take into account the rest of the world. So there's, I mean, many countries haven't even had the opportunity to vaccinate their most vulnerable people yet. So um, if, I mean, but but the supply situation globally is going to improve in 2021. So, I mean, we've got to take all these things into account. At the same time, we also know that if we don't boost people, then, well, um, protection may eventually wane and that might lead to a, another big wave. That's what some of the modelling that um, that SAGE has been looking at has been showing.
Is the lack of mask wearing in the UK a problem? Uh, you know, even on the tube, it waxes and wanes. Well, definitely mask wearing reduces transmission, so it will be an additional uh, means of protection and increase, um, well, people not wearing masks will increase the chance of a, 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 a another wave. So it, it, it would definitely help if, um, to have um, mask wearing in, in public spaces. Let's talk about uh, the, the new strain. How, how much do we know about uh, Delta Plus, how much it spreads the symptoms uh, and how far the, the vaccines protect us? Um, well, not a huge amount yet. I mean, there's suggestions that it might be more transmissible compared to the, the Delta we've been seeing for a while now, but the transmission advantage it has doesn't look like it's huge. It's not the same advantage that Delta had over Alpha, for instance, which was which is what caused sort of like the the the, the, the massive spike over the, the summer. Um, and because the difference doesn't look so big, it's it's harder to work out exactly what it is, whether it's just a statistical error or it's really um, actually more transmissible. But I mean, the evidence is suggesting that it's a sort of slight variant of Delta, which is able to spread more. So far, there's no evidence that the vaccines perform less well against it. But again, we've got to wait until we have more data. Do you think that it should be compulsory for NHS frontline staff to be double vaccinated? Well, I think I'm probably not the best person to talk about all the issues involved. Mm -hmm. I mean, from a purely epidemiological point of view, obviously, these are people who um, will have contact with vulnerable people um, and 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 people who are infected with COVID. But I mean, there are lots of other considerations like, um, well, workforce planning, ethics, responsibility and so forth that I'm probably not the best person to talk about. But bring it brings up to date with a picture on on vaccine uh, supply. What what's uh, what, what are we got plenty of vaccines lined up in the UK? Uh, and what about uh, across the world? Manufacturing is manufacturing keeping up with demand? Well, the supply situation is improving very rapidly. I mean, the the amount of new supply being brought in will improve dramatically in 2022. But at the moment, there are still many countries that have um, less than 10% of their population vaccinated, whereas, I mean, there are um, countries, and we're fortunate to be enough um, to, to live in one of them, where we've got more than enough doses to actually um, vaccinate the whole population with boosters if we needed to. So, I mean, there, it, it really um, may, maybe would suggest that actually the sort of like um, dose dose sharing, actually sharing mm-hmm. our doses with the countries who haven't been able to secure the supplies because they didn't have the financial means to early on, that, that might actually help the global situation. You've done a lot of work, obviously, on, on modelling. Um, just tell me your outlook now as we go into, you know, the darkest days and, and the kind of winter time. What do you predict for the next two to three months in the UK in terms of spread? Well, the modelling actually suggests that um, 
this winter, in terms of COVID, we might actually see lower numbers than we saw over summer. And that's partly because, um, well, because of the rollout of the boosters. It's because of the, um, the, 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 the vaccination program in, um, in, in secondary school, um, um, uh, students. But it's also because there's been such a high rate of infection, unfortunately, in, 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 in school, um, children that a lot of them have now been infected already. So it suggests, but that, I mean, there are other considerations about hospital capacity. We might see a resurgence in flu. We might see a resurgence in other respiratory diseases. So I, I think we're not out of the woods yet. Um, the modeling also yeah. suggests that we might see an increase again um, coming into 2022. So that's where okay. we might need to be worried. Bloomberg Westminster. Listen weekdays at noon on DAB Digital Radio in London. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com.